1: focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the Makers of Minnesota.
0: Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen. You are listening to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things And today we have a good story. We have Kristen Ferris with us, who is with Cuddle Mutt. And Kristen walked in the door and she said, oh, my gosh, you podcasted with, was it your cousin? That's correct. Your cousin cousin is Melissa Melissa. Ferris from Veritas Botanicals that it was purchased by Pranam. And uh, she and I podcasted together quite a while ago, actually. Yeah, episode seven. Yeah, and I have been revisiting people um, from podcasts. I just recorded one today with a woman that we podcasted podcasted with about two years ago. And so much can happen in the business world, like of a startup, right, in a couple of years. So it's really exciting to talk to you today. Um, some of these makers, I'll just give you the whole embarrassing story. So I find some of these makers on Instagram, right? And Good then I'm like, and I'm researching you and I'm reading about your product on your website and I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm going to meet you in the lobby and I'm realizing, uh, I have no idea who this person is by name. I thought that you were a woman because I thought I'd seen your picture on the Instagram site, but I was like, okay, I don't know her name. I get out there, I'm like, um, hi, all I know is your Cuddle Mutt and you're wearing your cute shirt. So thank you for not (laughs) being, I was like, gosh, how embarrassing. I don't even know your name, but I do know your products. Yes. Well, I'm glad you do. Yes. and glad you found us. I did. And Cuddle Mutt is, I think someone, another maker actually might've recommended you. So congratulations to those makers for recommending other makers. Yeah. I love the community of that what I think you're doing is really interesting and I it never occurred to me so cuddle mut tell me like how you what your tagline is about your callers
1: sure it's really dog accessories um and it's for dogs with a cause so we have that uh really cause behind it and it really all started through my fostering with secondhand hounds which is a local rescue organization sure. so I foster dogs and every time I brought in a foster through secondhand hounds I like to give them a blanket. It helped provide a sense of security, comfort, and all of that. And I like to give it to them as well when they transition to their forever home. Yep. So that's really where the idea started is I saw this need for blankets and rescues as well as shelters really didn't have um, as many blankets as would be, you know, kind of needed for yeah. all the dogs that they rescue. And so I wanted to design a good blanket so it's not just some old, you know, towel yeah, that they get. Yeah, which is
0: typically what people use and yeah. myself included.
1: Yeah. So it's a really a nice blanket that they can use to help a dog with the transition and give the dog some comfort.
0: And it's dog sized. So it's like it's it's a really nice size. What are the actual dimensions? Like three feet it's by about, three?
1: Yeah, it's like thirty inches by like thirty-six inches. Yeah. And I have it um, on my website, but it was purposely designed because a lot of these shelters have the Kannada blanket or the Kannada beds. Yep. And so I wanted one that would fit well on that as well as good for laundry because you know a lot of dogs come through and yeah. laundry is important to so keep that in mind and then you so was the blanket the first thing you started with yes okay so really uh, the whole business started on the idea of the blanket I wanted to give the blankets and so I based the company on that and uh, really designed the blanket specifically for dogs so the blue on the one side is a color that dogs can see, or scientists think that they can see. Yep. So it would add some color to their life, and so it was very thoughtfully designed with our binding. We did tricot binding, so it helped with the durability because you know dogs—they
0: like to nest, they like and to dig. nest yep. exactly.
1: So we did uh, design it with dogs in mind, and so that was our first uh, product. But at the same time of launching, we did have the collars available, but the blanket really
0: started it. So tell me about—you called your collar a vegan leather collar.
1: Yes, so uh, as you know, you know there's a lot of leather collars out there, yep. and I wanted an animal friendly version of that. Really, right now the most popular animal friendly version is a nylon. But um, as people listening may know, if they have a dog, it catches on the hair quite a bit, and so I wanted something that's of high quality, but not leather. And there's really nothing um, on the market, and if there you know is, I haven't found it yet. Right, right. So I. Uh, Really had that in mind of something high quality and luckily found a local manufacturer that helped bring it to life. Okay. And I love
0: that you are like, it never occurred to me that dog collars aren't vegan, like they're leather. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of funny if you're like into animal health and safety And, of course, we eat cows and we wear leather shoes and all the rest. But it made total sense that if that's important to you as a lifestyle brand, that you would have a vegan collar. I thought that was so clever.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we really wanted to provide this kind of niche to uh, people that that's important to them. And so all of our accessories will be animal friendly and we'll use whatever alternatives are necessary to bring something to market that's
0: friendly. Kristen, what did you, so you were a dog rescuer, you were a foster dog. So I know a little bit about secondhand hounds. So tell me what the physical experience is of being a dog rescue home.
1: Sure. So when you sign up to be a foster, and there are a lot of rescues. So I foster through secondhand hounds, but there are so many great rescue organizations in the Twin Cities uh, that all do this as well. And uh, So secondhand hounds. Really, the process is you bring in um, a dog into your home and you set this up ahead of time. So they post dogs that are in need. You say, you know, I would like to foster that dog. You pick it up on the designated date. You bring it home and you really provide the love and care that it needs until it finds a forever home. And typically, um, that could be a couple weeks or it could be a couple months, uh, depending on how long it, you know, takes to find the forever home. But you receive the applications and you get to pick the home that best fits that dog, which I really like.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, yeah that's interesting. So um, I'm familiar with secondhand hounds from my work on Twin Cities Film Festival, and yes. they're working on, um, they're, they're a, a beneficiary and a partner this year. Yes. Um. So some of the dogs that come through secondhand hounds are dogs that have, like, medical needs. Is that hard to manage when you get some of those dogs that are a little needier?
1: Absolutely. I think they do a good job of calling that out before uh, you get the dog if yep. they know of it. So if there is a special needs dog and requires additional care and vet appointments, they like to bring that up so that if you have a schedule that won't allow for the yep. midday vet appointments, then you can see if they have called any of that information out. But it is, it is hard. They take on some really special cases and you really have to be devoted uh, to that.
0: Um. So we were talking earlier. You came in, and I asked if I could have one of your blankets, actually, for yes. my dog, who's a rescue. And um, we were talking about how I got my dog, and I'm going to tell you the story simply because I think it's a great story, but I it's also kind know, of sad. Stories. So I had a ten-year-old black lab who I uh, loved. She was great. Uh, Simon was his name, and he. We had him in in the kennel, and we were at the we were in the Ely at our cabin. And he had thrown up. It was Memorial Day weekend, and he would thrown up that day as we were getting ready to leave the cabin. And he get, he would get car sick, so we would put him in a kennel in the car. And about two hours down, so we were in Cloquet, Minnesota, we stopped to let him out of the car. And he just really did not look right. Like, he just looked like he was struggling, and he was kind of scared-looking and really rigid. So we called the vet and said, oh, we're you know probably going to have to come down. Uh, we're two hours out. And she said, well, can you look at the color of your dog's gums? So I like looked and I was like, I don't know, they're kind of gray. And she was like, oh, you know, that's not good. It sounds like maybe he's in shock. I think you should actually hold on and we'll find an emergency vet for you in the town where you are. So just hang on the line. So I'm hanging on my cell phone. I'm all of a sudden getting really scared and I'm crying. And my daughter was a five-year-old and she was in the car. Actually, she was four. She was in the car With my husband, and so I was trying to like not look at her, and I was just like really panicked about the dog. And while I'm standing there crying on the phone, trying to not have my kids see, waiting for the vet to get back to me, I'm literally on the, I'm in a like subway parking lot, and this little brown dog comes running up to me, has no collar, and it's um like probably like twelve pounds. It's not very big and it's kind of climbing up my legs you know how dogs do that yeah. and i was like oh wow okay so i lift up this dog and the vet gets back to me and she's like okay you want to go down this road and so i'm trying to get the directions of where we need to go i'm worried that my dog's in the car and i have this other dog and there's nobody around sure. so i grab it and i put it in the car and i tell my husband like where to go to the emergency vet we go to the emergency vet We leave my daughter in the, like, front lobby of the emergency vet with this other random dog, and we go into the vet, and it turns out my dog has bloat, and we need to put him down. He's really suffering, and it's, like, a span of, you know, a couple of minutes that we figure this out, and we have to make the decision to put him down. I'm, like, sobbing. My husband's crying, crying. We have to go get my daughter to say goodbye, and it was just the saddest, saddest day. And all the while, she's playing with this other little dog that kind of looked like a chocolate lab. So, you know, we put our dog down. It's super sad, and they're like, okay, you can come back in a week. You, They were going to cremate him. You can pick up his ashes, okay? And I was like, and then I have this other dog that I found in this parking lot. He's like, oh, yeah, there's a reservation close to here. We see dogs like that all the time. You can go ahead and leave it here. We'll take care of it. So I was like, okay. So we get in the car. We drive home. I'm just super sad. My husband's sad. My daughter's a little kid, but she's sad. And uh, the next day I go to work and I'm telling everybody at work this story. And they're like, well, what happened to the other dog? I'm like, I don't know. You know, we just had to leave it at the vet. It was too much emotion. And they're like, well, you have to get that dog. That is like a transference of souls. I'm like, no, it isn't. They're like, yes, it is. And I just couldn't, like, hear it. And I stopped, like, I wasn't thinking about the dog. I was just so sad. And that day, I left work, and I went to go pick up my daughter at the daycare, and the lady that ran the daycare, she's like, oh, you know, Ellie made a picture for you today. She hands me this picture, and it is a little stick figure girl with two leashes, one in each hand. And one is the black dog, and it says Simon, the teacher had wrote the name of the dog, And on the other hand is a leash that is the brown dog, the little dog. And it says Nikki. And she's like, you know, I made this for you, Mom. And those are our dogs. And I'm just like, oh, wait, what is happening? So I get home and she's talking all about this dog, Nikki, and Nikki this and Nikki that and our dog. And I said to my husband, oh, my gosh, like, I don't know, but I think we have to go get that dog. And he's like, yeah, we do. So I called the vet and said, look, I don't know if anyone's claimed the dog. He said, no, and no one's going to. I'll give it all its shots. I'll get it ready to go. You can come pick it up. So that Friday, we picked her up at preschool. We went, drove up to the cabin, and picked up that dog, Nikki. And that dog was a rescue. She had obviously been an outside dog. She didn't really know the difference between inside and outside. She was scared of of men, frankly. I don't know if someone had beat her, but... That whole first year of having her, she was kind of timid, kind of skittish, but she has just ended up, she's 15. Wow. And she has just been the best dog. And she just ran, she's a super healthy six miles. My husband hikes around this lake. No problem. She's kind of a husky, she's like a husky lab mix. Okay. Um, And she's just been so great. And I think about like the whole rescue dog scene and how those dogs require a little bit extra care. She has her favorite blanket. She doesn't like to... She still has um, separation anxiety. She does not like to be without us. Okay. So blankets really are an important part of her life because we're always trying to... If we travel a lot, so we'll give her to my sister, but we'll bring her blanket and her bed, and I have beds everywhere with her little comfort things in them. So I just... I think it's so neat that um, you rescue dogs because it really... It makes a huge difference for them in that transition. Um, When you have hard... Like, when they get to you... How sad are they? How hard is it?
1: Well, first off, I love that story. Is it I think it's kind it's, of like it's a, a it's, fate thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think it's so great that Nikki ended yep. up in your home, and but you're right. Like all of the rescue dogs have their own story and background, and they may have a fear of men if um, they had a bad experience, yep. or if they, you know, had an experience with kids if any um, bad experiences happened there. Yeah, and I think that's what's great about fostering is. And when those applications come through, you can pick the best home uh for that dog. I had one dog that needed uh really a home with just a single woman. Yep. And I found this widowed woman and she really needed a companion and it worked out great. So I think there's a really a home for every dog that comes through, and as the foster that's your responsibility to figure out what makes sense for the dog. And I think it's great that organizations will empower you to do that.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your background before you started fostering and starting this business. Do you have a, what was your background or what were you doing in your working life? Sure. So
1: um, as soon as I graduated from college.
0: Are you uh, that young?
1: <laughs> um, I graduated about five years ago now. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so... That's so incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, something I started doing right after college. So I graduated college, um, moved home yep. to save uh, some money and sure. pay off debt, and I went to the University of St. Thomas locally here. Yep. So stayed pretty local and grew up in Rosemount. So I went back home, and um, our family dog had passed away uh, not too long before. Yep. So there was this void, and I had a friend that fostered. So that's how I kind of got started into the fostering world. Um, I started a job, you know, though, right after college. Sure. And still am there five years later and doing uh, both right now. So, what kind of a job is it? What do you do? It's um, really a pharmacy benefit manager. So, sure. I do a uh, product for them, but it's a different type of product, you know, yeah. networks and formularies and, and all that fun stuff. So, I continue to do that as it helps me fund uh, yeah, this passion of mine. So, yeah. So, then I started uh, really thinking about. That entrepreneurial bug, I guess, got me. You know, my cousin, like we mentioned earlier, uh, started her own company. Yep. Both my parents are entrepreneurs as well. Isn't that funny? Because I yeah. do think it
0: sort of runs in families.
1: It's like in the blood, especially on that Ferris side yeah. where I've got a, a couple cousins and then aunts and uncles and my parents. And so I always knew it was a path, which um, I guess I'm fortunate in that way. That yeah, that you I always grew thought up you like could. That. Yeah. So I grew up with uh, just the thought that you can really... Start anything you want to and uh, have really good support system, which has really made uh, Cuddle Mutt possible.
0: So you started the business. Do you remember like how much money you put in when you originally started?
1: So I think to start, it was about 30000 I put a lot into it because of the inventory. So the blankets are the only thing we don't make locally yep. because um, of our mission to get back just to make it all work. Uh, I work with a New Jersey company, and they're made overseas. So we got two thousand blankets to start because of the minimum order quantities. Yep. That was the we just I could dying? do. Yeah. Well, they showed up. <laughs> they showed up and just uh, all of these uh, kind of crates and and it, it looks up a like way garage. more
0: than you think it's yes, going to be. Yeah. Filled up
1: the whole my my whole parents' <laughs> garage. I had it delivered there, and they're like, "You need to like find come a place, yeah, see this because it's taken up the whole garage." I was like okay, you know, well, I don't really have a plan B right now. So, you know, I'll figure it out and but yeah, when the 2000 arrived, uh it was it was kind of funny cuz it is a lot.
0: Was there a lot to go into you mentioned like the design? Like it seems like a polar fleece blanket with kind of a fuzzy side of it, but um what simply looks to my naked eye like oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a blanket. I'm sure it took you longer and more prototypes and
1: It did. And, you know, this is all new to me. So it's just being able to talk the language, too. And uh, in the manufacturing world, there's just so much lingo that I didn't know. And uh, so it was a lot of research of, you know, the design of the fleece on the one side and then figuring out that um, the other side is the synthetic lamb's wool and it's a soft blue side that dogs can see. And so putting all that together and figuring out what kind of binding. And uh, for the collars, too, I was fortunate enough to... Uh, find a local manufacturer mm-hmm. because you reach out to all of these uh, manufacturers, but they don't want to really work with startups you know, because it's it's hard. I mean, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah, so and they
0: don't necessarily want to take the time to educate you. They just want to make your product.
1: Exactly. So if you don't outline it exactly how they need to hear it, it, it gets frustrating to them. But HBI Textiles, which is um, in Maplewood, Minnesota, there is a woman, Jerry, there that has really walked me through from the start. And I explain kind of what I'm looking for. And, and she helps me kind of get there um, and all through the different processes that you need to get there. But at the same time, I still need to supply her with everything. And I think some people think I give them a picture and then they just do. Yep. But um, I have to provide the material for the collars the hardware, so the buckles and the D-rings, and then how I want it stitched and yep. how I want to um, size it for the different sizes.
0: And how did you learn what you wanted? Did you just, like, internet research? and?
1: Yeah, it, that took the longest was the collars, I think, because it was figuring out what material would work best and not catch the dot. So it was a lot of trial and error and prototyping and yep. figuring out what material. And then I really wanted the D-ring uh, to be strong. As, and, as well as yep. the buckle. So they're brass, they're strong, you know, built to last because you don't want to, you know, have a cheap product out yeah. there. And, of course, you know, the fear is that D-ring would break and your dog would get loose. So that was very important to me yeah. to um, do it right. And that was, I took, you know, time to make sure it was right because I didn't want to put something out to market that I didn't stand behind and believe in. So, yeah, it was a process to get all of the uh, materials I was able to source it all locally within or within the US, Midwest here and provide it to the factory or local manufacturer yep. here. And they were able to help bring it to life, which was great.
0: So your blanket, when you buy a blanket, it's how much? Uh the blankets are thirty six. And you when you purchase a blanket, you also donate a blanket. That is correct. And where do you donate it to? Any shelter or do you have relationships?
1: Uh it's really just any shelter. Uh however, we started locally, you know, with Minnesota yep. shelters and rescues and we've done a couple out of state actually our first one, our first uh donation went to Hurricane Harvey down to sure. Texas. Sure. So it was when the hurricane had hit and secondhand hounds. Had they brought a lot of dogs
0: back after that.
1: Yeah, and they had a lot of relationships down there and they knew that there was this blanket need, and so that was where the first fifty blankets went and then now Um, A lot of shelters and rescues locally, the Minnesota Humane Society, Underdog Rescue, uh, Spots Last Stop. We've worked with a few uh, local ones here in Coco's Heart that uh, need blankets. And we kind of look at wish lists as well to help drive, you know, where is there the need for blankets. And there's more, uh, of course, need than we can supply. So as we continue to grow, we're really excited to fill fill that That gap more and more. Are you still fostering dogs? I am. I don't have one currently. Uh, we just got back from a vacation and now I'm starting at the Mall of America, which I know I. Let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So
0: you're going to be at RAS Market. And do you want to describe what RAS Market is? You're a number of, we've had a number of you vendors on, but it always helps to tell people what that is so that they can consider applying next time.
1: Yeah. So RAS Market, I'm going to be a first timer there. I know some have um, done it before. But it's really a bunch of local businesses and entrepreneurs, a lot of female entrepreneurs, which is fantastic, Yep, uh, that are in a space. And it's going to be a new space um, in the Mall of America. And it's bringing all of these local businesses uh, together to sell um, their merchandise. And so I'll be there with Cuddle Mutt. Are you doing a
0: three, six or 12 month lease? Three months. OK, so we will be there November 1st through January 31st. Okay through the um, holidays and have you've never done this before no. so did you have to hire someone to work your booth because you have a day job did you collaborate with other vendors in order to get your booth staffed or your I know that you guys it's like a cooperative environment
1: yep so working through that right now, so uh, by the time this airs, I'll be in the Mall of America, so it should be staffed by then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're working through that right now, but I've never had to hire uh, staff. I have a good you know support system for events. We've really just done pop-ups, and yep. I've been able to manage that. There are a lot of times on the weekends or nights. And so with my full-time job, I'm able to get there and make yep. it work. But with uh, this new opportunity, it's fun and exciting and and scary at the same time. But you Did kinda... you have to make
0: extra product?
1: Yes. And so... We are uh, doing additional products um, in addition to just expanding our current inventory. But we, by the time this launches, you'll have to come and check out the new scarves. We're going to have dog scarves. Cute. Um, as well as bandanas. So we'll have both of those as well as um, we're expanding our colors. to have a black collar and a white collar. So, okay. Yeah, it's exciting and
0: uh, and just... it's stressful, too, though, because I imagine you had to put at least, I'm assuming, about $10,000 into inventory in order to get you through those three months.
1: Yes, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, and it's really just a chance that I wanted to take, and I thought this could bring Cuddle Mutt to the next level. And, again, my hope is to really build the brand so I can continue to donate blankets mm-hmm. uh, to shelters and rescues. So I was thinking when I was asked to be a part of this uh, market, that it would be a great opportunity to give people the opp- the chance to see us uh, in person and not just at these pop-up events. We actually will have a standing location for three months, which is exciting.
0: How much of the purchase when someone buys something from you? Because is most of the purchasing happening online or at the pop-ups?
1: I would say it's a mixture. I would say the pop-ups, we do get more just because... Uh, we're able to explain our story yep. and get the word out. And because we we're about a year old last month, we're brand new still. So it's really getting the word out and explaining our mission and all of that. So that happens at the pop-up, but at the same time, social media is great. Yeah, And uh, we are able to, on Facebook and Instagram, reach people, and then they go to the site and and purchase.
0: I was going to ask, so how much do you think of the purchase is the story and the giving back? Because that's very popular now to have a give back model. Yes. Did you always know you were going to do that? Like, was that the impetus for starting the business? Because you probably like could have sold other things too.
1: Right. Yeah, that was the basis of it. That's what I started it on is I knew I wanted to give back, I think, as a millennial. Um
0: and social enterprises are becoming more and more popular. When you say as a millennial, describe why you say that, because I know why you say that, but I want the listener to hear that. Sure. So I
1: think uh, as a millennial, we do want to make the world a better place. And that is um, at least the desire of most, not all, you know, you can't always say all, but uh, the most is to make the world a better place. And I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to create a company that made a difference. I didn't want to create a company just to make money, I wanted to create a company to make a difference in the world, and I knew the impact that it would have on the dogs if they received a blanket. So, that's where this all started.
0: That is a very um, millennial-like trait people are finding when they study millennials. You know, we give—I don't know. There's a little bit of a like easy ease of bashing millennials sometimes, there is. but. They, they're very interested in social enterprise, social justice, giving back, finding ways to make the world a better place. It's funny not to digress into politics or voting, but yet they're not the best about voting. And it's so surprising because you would think that because they really, I think as a, as a group, deeply care about the world and want to make it a better place – but it doesn't really translate into politics, but it does translate into this, like, entrepreneurial spirit.
1: Right. I think we try to make that positive impact and we, in general, try to remove ourselves from negativity, which unfortunately is the political landscape yeah, right now. Yeah, and that could
0: be the, that I never had thought about it that way, that, like, what do you want to let into your life? And politics is so acrimonious and so hard right now. Right. um, That people don't like politics used to be like in the day kind of a positive thing. Right. It was philanthropy. It was giving back to your community. It was Making taking a, a stand. Yeah. Being Democrat. We have a democracy. And what can you do to support the democracy? And it it is funny in the last hundred years that has shifted into sort of this very negative, icky place whereas you know a one to one entrepreneurship program feels really good and like you're doing something good in the world and maybe control too yeah like it feels like something control. you can control
1: right but that shouldn't take away from voting i no. mean i think you know hopefully people will yeah
0: and i i you know every i've got my own political beliefs but i even tell like i'm like just vote whatever your belief system is you might find yourself in where you need like support from your politics, from your economy, from your just get out there and vote. Just whatever it is. I don't care who you vote for but practice being in the democratic system because it's a gift.
1: It is. Yeah. Use your voice.
0: Yeah. Whatever that voice is and I am really impressed at you using your voice. Is the dream to contribute more and to have more products and to make this your full-time gig over time? That is the goal. So if I can get it to
1: a place where I'm able to support myself and I don't need the full time job, then uh, that would be the ideal state. And I'll continue to plow away at
0: it every day until I hopefully can make that a reality. Without getting into specifics, do you have like that idea of that number in your head and what that looks like? Like, do you have it written down? Do you know?
1: I have uh, just the idea of kind of supporting my current salary. Yep. Like, if I can get close to that and I can basically meet my needs as well as some wants of um, lifestyle wants, yep. then that's when I will make the jump ideally uh, within the next few years. Yep. Uh, but I'll just continue to see where it uh, yeah, takes and maybe, me. And...
0: Maybe RAS will give you the, um, the bump that you need. One yeah. thing to think about is healthcare because as an entrepreneur – my husband and I had our own business. We were successful at it. We sold it. It was like the American dream. But we didn't think about healthcare care to the degree that we should have because what, what we were paying as employees, even as our own company, because we had a group of employees and we were all paying together, right. our costs were four times as much. And, you know, unless you're going to be in some other situation shortly where you can get group health insurance, you're going to be on your own. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny. There's, I think the percentage is 15% of people are on the independent market, which would be entrepreneurs, which would be graphic designers, yes. freelancers, that whole class of people trying to create and do cool things and yeah. creating the jobs for the future of America. Right. But you have to pay for your health care first. So yes. just something to think about that. And I don't know why we didn't think about it more. I think it's just like, oh yeah, well, It'll be kind of what it is now, Yeah. but it was so dramatically different.
1: And it is a consideration that I've thought about because Mm -hmm. my parents are entrepreneurs. So I've seen that firsthand, and that's something that they've said multiple times to me is that is one of the top considerations. So it's funny you bring that up, too, because and I think now with Minsure there are other avenues to get health insurance that they didn't have available to them. So I think we're starting to shift a little yep. bit in having opportunities for this class of people that are basically taking a chance and and yeah. doing something on their own. Which because been... even
0: if you can like cover your basic living expenses, you know, to my to my healthcare bill is more than my mortgage, and that doesn't include my deductible. So yeah. I mean, and I'm healthy right now, but I we have, I've had some health challenges, and it's just it can get really overwhelming. So think about healthcare. Yes. Um, Let's talk about social media because you're of the young person social media generation where you're probably doing it all yourself. I am. Yes. Um, Tell me, how many times a day do you post on Instagram?
1: I post once a day is the goal. uh, And it is hard to get content to get to that state because you have to take the time to really think about what your caption is and use the hashtags and post relevant information and have the dog photos to support it.
0: Do you typically have a percentage of lifestyle to brand photos? I mean, you have dogs, so that's Mm -hmm. a pretty cute way to go about it. It is. Yeah, I
1: try to balance it between actual just product shots Mm -hmm. as well as uh, we use dog influencers, uh, which... Tell me about that. Yeah, if people don't know, they're uh, really dogs that are on Instagram that their human owners have created um an account just for them to
0: really show their lifestyle and they get a ton of followers. Like Dogs of Instagram is a gigantic local couple. Yes. Yep. Has they're dogs. local.
1: <laughs> and we work with uh like Pointer Problems, which is two pointers and mm-hmm. they're local here. Uh Gordy and Lily are the pointers and they have uh about 40,000 followers i believe and then there's like Gus Gus in the city Yep. and he's a you know minneapolis uh frenchie there's and... three frenchies that's a new one yeah i don't know if i've heard of that one that's they're new popping one. up like every day and uh, we work with them and it's great because a lot of uh the dogs have either come from rescue or the owners support rescue in some ways so they get behind our mission as well. And so, so they're they help brand ambassadors. It. Exactly. Yeah, they're really brand ambassadors. And so we work with uh, them to get, you know, photo content and they post to then their Instagram, which if they have, you know, 50,000 followers, they're now exposed to Cuddle Mutt. And so that's really helped get our brand name out.
0: Do you pay your influencers or is it like a trade situation for product? It's
1: uh, free product. So we haven't given any compensation. It's really. A free product in exchange for a couple posts, and,
0: and that's really lucky. That do you think it's because you're mission based that people are like so willing to help you?
1: Yep, yeah, I think that is really the uh, reason that people are yes willing to uh, do some posts as well as uh, not just do a post to do a post, but really they provide that content that it's, it's real. They really, it is authentic. They, they want to support this local organization if we're working with a local influencer and they want to see Cuddlemen succeed because they know that means more blankets are donated to dogs. And I mean, we're in this to, to make a difference and I think that comes
0: through. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly seems like it can. Um, In your whole world of social media, is Facebook relevant at all or is it mostly Instagram for you?
1: Facebook is relevant. So we have a Facebook page. We are focusing on those two. So we don't have Twitter Mm -hmm. or anything like that right now. It's just Facebook and Instagram.
0: And you abandoned Snapchat. Were you a Snapchatter in high school and college?
1: Well, I still use uh, Snapchat personally, but I don't yet see the value from a business standpoint. And just the time that goes into social media, I wanted to focus and do the couple that I invested in well. You do so, it well, too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So Facebook and Instagram are the two that we focus on and uh, try to hit people up do, that you do way. Do you do paid ads ever on the platforms? We have uh, just Facebook to start. Uh, I'm actually, my boyfriend's in the marketing agency world, so he helps uh, figure out the target audience and help narrow that in. So we've done a few. I think we could do more, but right now... Uh, we're just focusing the
0: funds on other yeah.
1: When you do those
0: Facebook ads, is the goal to get people to like the page? Is the goal to get them to make a purchase?
1: Depends. Some we do more just brand awareness of we exist as a company. Yep. Come like our Facebook page, uh, or if we're trying to plug a new product, we'll focus on that with an actual shop button. Yeah. So that that'll
0: bring it directly to. Do that. you ever do shop buttons on Instagram?
1: We haven't experimented too much with that yet. It's on my list of things to look into because um, I'm on Shopify. That's our website platform. And they just actually, within the last week, put a new marketing uh, button that you can then link that to your Instagram and tie it more closely together.
0: So I want to explore that more and I know I could be doing more. So people could go right from a picture of a dog with the vegan collar and then click on it and that would take them right to the website to make that purchase. Right. It's it's really interesting and I'm just starting to see people kind of experiment. So you're on the front end of that as well. And I think, don't you have like close to 5,000 followers? We
1: are a couple thousand, so we're not quite up to the 5,000, but yeah, we continue to grow every day as I think people stumble upon our
0: Instagram, mm-hmm. and uh, we're
1: close to like a 1,000 or so
0: on Facebook. Do you have a strategy for how you want to get more followers?
1: I look at hashtags, so sometimes I will do like hashtag rescue dog, and I will go and like and comment on random pictures yep. in the hope that they see Uh, That, you know, Cuddle Mutt had liked and followed. And so then that brings them to our page. And so that's kind of my strategy. It's all organic. It's all pretty, yeah, organic. I don't do any of the paid, you know, followers and I don't hire um, any of those type of agencies that do kind of that fake, annoying uh, likes and follows where they follow and then they unfollow and all of that. I don't, I want to keep it um, authentic.
0: Yep. Um, it's hard, though. It's getting harder and harder it to is. grow in that arena. In the beginning, it was pretty organic, and yes. now it's just getting harder and harder and harder.
1: Uh, we've, know, I guess we've, uh, it's really the uh, Instagram influencers that I work with. Uh-huh. We've had conversations about that, and it's just harder now to get through Yep. and get even noticed by the people that are following us. I yep. mean, we don't appear on their newsfeed anymore, and it's a lot of that paid and Yep. So that organic, like like you mentioned, is really going away, and uh, I hope that they'll kind of continue to change their algorithm on the back end to account for you know this organic. Because yeah. I think it's important, and if someone has chosen to follow, uh, I think that they should see the content. So
0: yeah. How do you feel about stories versus pictures on your Instagram?
1: I think the pictures to build the account are important. So we'll do the daily post on there. But we do try to engage in stories. If we're at events or a pop-up, we like to do um, Facebook Lives as well. Uh, But the stories, I think, really get that real time and that brand, you know, what's going on at that exact moment and is good just to engage. Mm -hmm. And I think people notice those before even the post. And so now it's even... You know, we've got a cool new post out. Go check it out and just try to drive people to the actual account as well. From the posts in the stories. Right. Yeah. From the story to the post. Yep. So there's some of that. But uh, yeah, we've experimented with Instagram Live and Facebook Live. It's fun because it's really authentic at that point. I mean, you're live. So whatever happens, happens, Is that like the
0: Instagram Live TV
1: it's not quite the TV. It's just like a Facebook Live um, or Instagram.
0: I don't even know if I knew that you could do that, but it's just a video. Of course you can. Yeah. yeah. You just
1: um, just go to, you know, you can kind of swipe to
0: yeah.
1: uh, the different types of... Yep. It's uh, rare
0: that you see those, though, when you're looking at someone's feed. Yeah, it wouldn't it be on the
1: feed itself. On the Instagram feed, it would be in the stories in part. In the stories So part. it's only up there for 24 hours right. then, and then it's gone. So it is harder to see versus Facebook Live. It's out there forever. Yeah. And you can go back to
0: one I did a year ago, and it would still be there. And <laughs> it's, it's hard to uh, – the thing I think about Facebook Live is you have to, like, prepare people that you're going to do it because not everybody is on their Facebook in the moment when you're going to do it. So they say, like, to schedule your live – Mm -hmm. video times so like hey fans we're going to be here at 11 o'clock doing this xyz yep and so you have like more of a built-in audience because when you start to go live it takes like three minutes before the audience to really get there
1: it does and we've experimented if i know what time i'm going to go live i will post something but at the same time um, the after effect once it's you know over they can still access it yes so we've seen a lot of that residual Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't happen live, but it is
0: it'll but within, happen within the you next twenty four hours. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like someone will, you know, see it an hour later and it's still relevant, which is which is great. Yep. And so yeah, we've or people share the Facebook live and I we've noticed just even that forty eight hours,
0: um, it's, you know, reached yeah. you know, thousands of people, which is fantastic. As we wrap up here, give me your like cuddle mutt. Uh, elevator pitch commercial
1: sure so again we have our signature blanket and we have our dog collars and then for every item not just the blanket but for every item purchased we donate a blanket to a dog in need and uh, when this goes live you'll uh, we'll be at the mall of america so come and visit us and it's really exciting that we'll have a location and then we also have pop-up events and we try to post those on our facebook events uh, section so you can find us in different places but Yeah. Check out our new inventory. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We really do appreciate any local uh, support as we continue to grow. It is Cuddle Mutt. Thank you very much, Kristen. Thank you.